Hello and welcome to the second season of All I Know. My name is Jen Winkleman and I'm your host for this time where we gather together as if we're around a little campfire and we're there to listen as everyday people tell us some of their stories. Here at this show, we believe that behind every single face, there are stories. And in every story, there are lessons for life that are waiting to be learned by the rest of us. So today, our guest and I will have a largely unscripted conversation, aside from the anchor questions that we use to get into our interviews. And then as our guest story unfolds, if you and I choose to do so, we can catch the truth and knowledge and wisdom that's being shared with us like little fireflies in a jar and then use that as light for our own paths in life. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Hello, thank you for joining us. It's Jen and executive producer Jess. Hi. (laughs) We're here to do a little bit of reflection on season two because our final episode just went live And so we're here to just kind of talk some shop about how season two went. We'll see how this goes. It's going to go great. (laughs) Okay. So you've wrapped up season two. Yes. Do we want to talk about each episode or not each episode, but each guest or a theme or. Yeah. I mean, I really liked when we went through the stories that we told in season one. I feel like it's a nice way to sort of honor the impact our storytellers have had. Mm -hmm. So I would love to be able to chat through. And I know it's a very one-sided conversation because we're just talking about what I take away from those folks, but I like to be able to honor them that way. I like that. I think sometimes when you listen to podcasts, it's really, really even more interesting to hear the host or the interviewer's perspective on the story. Cause I feel like in the podcast you're facilitating the story. Yes. You're not sharing your reaction to it. Yes. Although sometimes my reaction squeaks out. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I can't avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you were the first guest. You were guest numero uno for yeah. season two. Crazy. And I took up three episodes. I think they're fantastic episodes. I love them. Three episodes trying to tell the stories of my heartbreaks as best I could. That was a big risk for me, as you know, and probably remember us sitting down and talking about it. I was worried about telling those stories because I don't feel like I have the authority to tell all the pieces. Like in a public forum. Yeah. I don't know that that's appropriate. There's certainly so much more context than what I was able to share, but it was an interesting experience in self-reflection. You know, I think anytime we try to string part of our story together for the benefit of someone else and, um, trying to give purpose or meaning to something that we've walked through, I always feel like that's a a valuable exercise and probably, I don't know if it's fair for me to say more so for somebody like me, but I'm often not the talker. I'm often the listener and the reflector. So then when I'm in that other seat where I'm trying to process something I've been through, you know, that's, that's different. That's not what I do every day. 
most of what I do every day is hold that space for someone else. Yeah. And to try to think about like, what's your takeaway? It's completely different when it's your life as opposed to you listening to someone else's story and be like, well, I would have da 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 because it's so close. I still am intrigued by what you said about feeling compelled to be skittish with the details enough so that you weren't outing any of these particular people that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And I'm still kind of on the fence about that. Like there's a part of me that totally understands that piece because you and I live in the real world and this is not Bravo TV show or anything. And also thinking probably because I'm your friend that whatever, it's your story. You tell it, you got to tell it. Yeah. I mean, this is unrelated, but just yesterday I was talking with my mom about some trolling that has happened online, not specific to our show, but for another show that we watch. And we were talking about the fact that there are these people who just feel like it's okay to speak in a disparaging way about someone they don't even know in a public forum and that that's just fine. That's no big deal that it's okay. And that they're entitled to that somehow, that they somehow have this right to speak at all. And I think I just don't feel that way. I don't have a right to speak at all, even though it is my story because I share it with other people and they are people that I loved. And so even if I don't love them now, if I love them at one time, I think it's important to honor the affection that I had for them and not explicitly share these details that might be disparaging or harmful to them in some way, even though it was part of what I walked. Does that make sense? And so I know this is not me like trolling online, but I feel like it's sort of that equivalent of, you know, having this public forum where really what's the purpose of saying these ugly things, even if they're true? I have a slightly different take on that. I think if we're talking about reality television, there's a part of me that feels that you signed up for that. You've got to be aware that there's some criticism coming. Where I disagree is that we don't need to burn people to the ground. Well, and they didn't sign up. (laughs) Oh, well, there you go. They didn't yeah. sign up, right? So it's not fair for me to... Right. Yeah, because this isn't a reality TV show. These are real stories, sacred stories of people's lives and their experiences that shape them and help them become who they are. That's not reality TV. No. And it's... Reality TV is supposed to be entertainment. This is not entertainment. This is people opening their souls Yeah, and there's no need to sensationalize something. I don't even know how to finish that sentence. People's stories are enough. When we're listening to people's stories, what they've experienced, they don't need to be sensationalized. It's enough. Well, I hope so, right? I hope that from those three episodes where I kind of unfolded these three relationships that I thought were going to end in lifelong marriage and partnership and didn't, I hope that even without all of the details or the more painful bits of the story that might make it a little bit more juicy to listen to, hopefully the value is still there because I exposed myself 
I drew the curtain back on how dark it was for me to walk through those losses and what they meant to me and how tangled up they were in my family loss and all this kind of stuff. So hopefully there is still value in that, even without the best friend over dinner level (laughs) details. I just, I love the whole concept of this podcast. I love being able to connect with someone else's story. And even if I've not experienced that same hardship or that same heartbreak or that same wonderfulness, because some of the guests have really wonderful experiences to share too. Somehow it makes me feel connected and less isolated or less alone in my experiences. For me, that's the value in the podcast. We're living in a world where it's easy to feel isolated and disconnected. Well, you just hit it square on the head. That's exactly the purpose behind this project. And I hope that it is doing that for the people who listen to it, that it makes them feel more connected and less alone. And like they've got a little fuel for working with in their own lives because I take something away from everybody I talk to. Have you gotten feedback about your episodes where you told your story? Oh gosh, not a ton of feedback. Anybody who's connected with us online knows that activity or conversation around episodes associated with posts is on the low engagement side. So I think most of that feedback is kind of held in people's hearts or in the, in the privacy of their own thoughts. And then there will be um, a handful of people who are listeners that are part of my daily life who will say something sometimes that completely catches me off guard because I don't realize I told them that, (laughs) (laughs) but I did tell them that I told them on the podcast. I just didn't know they were listening. So that has caught me by surprise a couple of times. Yeah. It sets me back on my heels a little like, Whoa, whoops. Who that's part of this, right? Yeah. Without mentioning names, like maybe just talk about like what category they fall into your life. Coworker, close childhood friend. What's the most surprising person who you found out had listened to your story? It's interesting for you to say that because I do have coworkers that listen that I did not know were listeners until they interact or say something in passing that surprises me. And I actually, this year, ironically, did connect with a childhood friend from elementary school who did not find me through the, through the podcast, but in our reconnection became curious about it and listened to it. Yeah. I don't know if I can fully answer that question, but it does throw me off when people know things I didn't tell them. (laughs) I can only imagine. Is there anything that you left out of your story after it came out and was published? Anything that you would have added to it or wish that you hadn't said? I don't think there's anything I wish I hadn't said. I wish that I could say more without hurting other people because I do think no context ups our understanding of Mm -hmm. anything for sure. But no, I don't have any regrets about what I said and I don't have any direct feedback of having hurt someone. So hopefully I didn't, which I know was something that I I was worried about when we recorded and I was worried about it when we released it too. Did your family listen to them? Yes. Well, I know that my mom and my sister did. I don't think that my dad has. I don't, he's probably not a a podcast. It's not really his thing, but my mom and my sister did. 
What were their impressions? Um, I wish you could ask them because I think that would be more accurate. I do remember having a conversation with my sister and she just kind of reflected back. Wow. You know, remembering what it was like to watch you go through those things and what I thought about it at the time Mm -hmm. and what I understand now. And it's like, I knew those things, but then when you put it together like this, it makes me see the impact in a different way. So I think it struck her as rather sad, but of course you wouldn't want your sister to. Well, and she's in a completely different life stage when those episodes came out than when it happened. Yes. For each of those relationships, she is now in a completely different level of adulting. Right. At the beginning, I mean, she was a girl. Yeah. She was a girl watching her big sister fall in love for the first time, you know. Yeah. And now she's a woman. Okay. Should we talk about Taylor? Yes. What, oh gosh, what a fascinating guest Taylor was. Do you want to do like a brief summary if somebody is just chiming into this? episode. Yeah. So Taylor survived a shooting at her high school and she talked about her experience with post-traumatic stress disorder, not just in the immediate aftermath of that tragedy, but in the years that followed. Um, She is working on her own podcast, a project called Forward, spelled F-O-R-E-W-A-R-D. And it's basically a retelling of her experience from those days. Season one is out and available. And my understanding is then the seasons to come, Taylor's going to share more about those years that followed after that tragedy at her high school. It is a very powerful thing to be sitting with someone and know that they are telling you You know, we ask the question, you know, what are three things that have happened to you, three experiences that you had, you feel of most shaped who you are. And we can say that kind of just sort of rolls out of our mouth. But when you think about the weight of that, these three things that really shaped who you are, particularly when it's something as difficult in subject matter as what Taylor had to share, I felt really appreciative that she was willing to go there with me and that as she's working on forward and trying to tell that story another way that she was willing to tell it this way as well even though both are podcasts it's a little bit different in the telling I just thought her episodes were really powerful and I still remember when I was sitting with her I believe we did two episodes for her. I think her story Mm -hmm. was broken into two segments. And so this would be in the second segment, but there was a a period where we were talking and her voice broke and she was talking about what it's like to wonder whether something is wrong with you. I felt like that was such a valuable thing that she offered to all of us because I really think every human goes through that at some level. It may not be in the wake of a shooting or an act of violence, but there are things that happen to all of us that make us just throw up our hands and be like, why am I not fitting? Why is this not okay? Why? What's wrong with me? I just love her courage to ask that question 
in a public way, uh, particularly in the wake of such a significant trauma. That story was interesting too, because she, I don't know what the right words are to describe it, but it's such a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. It wasn't this relationship that crumbled over the process of like six months or 16 years. It was this acute, yes, acute, uh, this acute event that happened completely randomly in her life. That is just a different level of pain and terror. Yes. Yes. You know, it was a completely different story than what we'd heard before on the podcast. Well, and you know how people talk about how we're getting desensitized to gun violence because Mm -hmm. there is so much gun violence happening and it's so often very thoroughly covered in the media. I feel like my conversation with Taylor has been an antidote to desensitization for me because there have been several significant horrid events that have happened since I sat down and had that conversation with Taylor and they have been harder for me to process than the events that happened prior to my conversation with Taylor. Mm -hmm. And while that's unpleasant, I think it's healthier. So I think about Taylor a lot. It's sad that I think of her because of the, no pun intended, the trigger of the news. Mm -hmm. But I do think of her probably more often with more regularity than a lot of our other storytellers. And I think that says something. What do you think it says? We got a problem. With guns in this country? Are you kidding me? With with violence, we have a... Yes, we do. We have a huge, huge problem. Because there is a prompt to think about Taylor and that intimate conversation I had with her. A frequent reoccurring prompt. hmm Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, Sarah mm-hmm. was our next... Your next guest. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely Sarah. Start us off with a recap of Sarah's story. Okay, so Sarah is someone that I know through the ballroom dance community, and um, she came to All I Know to share some of the impact that ballroom dancing has had on her, particularly as a person who lives with cerebral palsy. She's got a lot of physical challenges that most of us don't have to contend with, And she just did some lovely sharing about how dancing has redeemed some of that and helped her through some of that challenge. So, I mean, I'll probably say this about every single guest in a different way, but I love that conversation. I love that conversation because I love Sarah. I love what she stands for. And I think it's so beautiful what she's been able to do with dance. I won't go into any great details, but one of the coolest things is that when Sarah was on the show, she was in the process of looking for a service animal. She was trying to put together a network and some resources to be able to have a stability service dog, and she has been matched. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I think, I I don't know for sure, I can't promise, but I think Sarah will be back in season three to talk about her experience 
meeting this new little love who's going to work for her. Yeah. Yeah. So there's going to be a season three. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Okay, good. Let's worry about that. Well, and I would imagine, too, that Sarah's story just hits different because you also share that love of dance. Yes. I don't know if it comes across in the episode, but there were a couple of places where I was just bawling my face off when we were talking (laughs) because there are pieces of what she's talking about that I understand so intimately being a person who is wrestling learning to dance as well. Yeah. And another place where we really connect is that old desire to have been a mother and not having had that experience and what it's like to have. She has two nieces. So we connect a lot around the feelings she has for her nieces and the way I experience my relationship with my niece and nephew. Being aunties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bonnie. Oh my gosh. Bonnie. Okay. This is so cool. Bonnie is actually the mother of one of my childhood friends. And if you listen to season one, you heard that childhood friend in Diana. Bonnie is Diana's mother. So after Diana was on the show, Bonnie agreed that she would do it too. So she came in season two. I know. And, uh, you know, I think about, Bonnie sometimes because I wonder how she feels about her experience with having told her story. It made me so sad because after her story became available, she and I checked in and she said something about having connected with some friends in Europe who had listened to her episode and reflected back to her that they felt like it was just too much navel gazing. And, uh, I was so pissed. Like it was, well, the term comes from like having your head down and just looking at yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a little harsh. It is harsh. It is harsh. I felt like certainly there must be something cultural there. There could be a cultural difference, but it just made me so sad because I felt like, God, what Bonnie talked about in her episode was so powerful. She walked us through some challenges that she's had in her life. And this idea of feeling victim and coming to a realization that she is her own rescue and what it looks like to be your own rescue and be engaged in that process for yourself. And so I just felt like, oh man, Whoever these friends are that listen, they just don't get it. They don't understand the purpose (laughs) of what we're trying to do. Like there's something lost in translation there because I was just going to say, I think this is, it's a very American thing to talk about your struggles, how you became the person that you are. What are the three massive events that you're going to talk about that shaped you? Like, I think that's a very American thing to talk about yourself that way in such depth. Yeah, I guess. I hadn't really connected that dot because I feel like what we're doing is a human thing. I do too. Rather than an American thing. (laughs) But having that feedback from Bonnie, it just made me think about it differently. I mean, I'm no expert on European people or cultures, but it doesn't surprise me 
because I do think that there is this perception that Americans are very self-centered and I don't think the podcast stories are that at all. I think they're incredibly self-reflective. Well, and Bonnie talks about these roles basically that she was assigned in childhood and how she came to a point in her life where she could shed them and how that, you know, helped her claim a healthier place in the world. Oh my gosh, I feel like that's so valuable for everyone. For sure. Because before we can even string sentences together and before we ever even understand language, we're starting to develop a sense of self that's going to follow us for the rest of our lives. And how powerful that Bonnie had this experience, which culminated in a in a runaway to Scotland that was kind of the apex of this transition for her. I don't know. I think it's awesome. My main thing for Bonnie is I really hope she had a good experience <laughs> because yeah. I thought there's something in what Bonnie had to say that applies to everyone. I hope that was just a blip for her because I do think that it takes so much courage and vulnerability to be so open and sharing your story and mm-hmm. putting it on a podcast mm-hmm. and not knowing who's listening to it. You know, you've had downloads from all over the world. Like there's no telling who's going to listen to the story. And I think that takes incredible courage. Yeah. You can't control uh-uh. perception on the other end. No, no. And how it lands with her friends in Europe is a reflection on them. It's, it has nothing to do with her story. Well, that's but exactly what I told her. Oh, I right, said, right. they don't get it. It's still hard. I mean, which is why I don't have an episode. I don't want to deal with people's perceptions of me. Maybe one day. <laughs> um, Francis was your next guest. Mm-hmm. Love that name. Yeah. What a fascinating human being Francis is. So I know Francis as well through the ballroom community. He's a designer and a dressmaker. And um, I happened to be in the shop one afternoon talking about the podcast and he agreed to be a guest. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. And I hardly knew anything about him other than that he was a designer and dressmaker. We were able to sit down and talk at length about his immigration from the Philippines as a young boy and his experience as a gay man in a culture that would not tolerate that and his experience being gay then in the United States and how he pursued relationship that was healing for him. There were so many family dynamics and layers from childhood that made life really complicated for him. When I think about Francis, it's like in my mind, there's this tangled web. I see him just like gently taking one strand and pulling it to the side and gently taking another strand and pulling it to the side to sort of untangle the web. And I think that's the work that he's doing and that he celebrated in being a guest on the show. Have you heard from him since the episode dropped? Mm-hmm. Did he have any reaction or feedback? He has not listened to it. No. No. He was too nervous to listen to his own episode, which I can completely understand. Totally. Been there. So he had not listened to it yet. So I don't know how he feels about the finished product, but he did say at the end of the recording I wish I could get the words exactly right. He said something along the lines of feeling like it was therapeutic to 
put all of these events out there and string them together. Okay, so I don't have an episode, but as you're saying that, I think that's part of the, like, you got to know what your story is. Well, and I think a lot of us are so busy and just caught up in the daily that we're not very purposeful about that narrative. No. And I kind of think that makes us vulnerable to it. You know, what's written subconsciously may not be in our best interest, but if we take those events and examine them and think about them and string them together in a purposeful way, perhaps the exact same thing dealt with on a conscious level could be more. Yeah. Cause I, whatever story you're telling yourself is the life you're living. Right. Whether it's a conscious and I feel like in order to have an episode, you, you have to be, have a pretty conscious understanding of your story. Perhaps, although I would tell you that I think a lot of people who participate in this process, if you ask them ahead of time, do you have a conscious understanding of your story? Do you feel like your narrative is strung together so you can present it? I think a lot of them would say no. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Really? Yes. I have this picture that folks are coming in. They know there are three major things that happen to them. I think I think sometimes they do, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's all like... And like, like they kind of know where they're leading in sharing those three particular events or experiences. I don't think most people do. That's interesting. Um, Josie. Oh, yeah. Josie. What a fun conversation <laughs> that was. Josie is an artist. She's got a sensational following on social media and she basically paints rainbows, like everything rainbow all the time, beautiful, bright, cheerful, happy rainbows. I love it. (laughs) It's so whimsical. And I think that brightness and cheerfulness that she brings is... It's definitely something I need in my own life. So that's probably part of the reason I'm attracted to her work. I got to meet Josie through a mutual friend. And she talked about a loss that she had gone through in her life related to fertility. And she had a full-term stillbirth Mm -hmm. that was incredibly painful. And the process of healing from that she actually used her art and discovered the process of flow. And I cannot remember. Josie can tell you. Listen to the Josie episode because she talks about it. I cannot remember who's basically the father of this uh, theory or phenomenon that humans can enter into. But, oh my gosh, ever since that conversation with Josie about flow, I am constantly thinking about, did I hit it? Can I hit it? Want to hit it? Because I think it feels good to be in the flow, to be in flow. Where do you feel in flow? Once in a great, great, great while, I can feel it when I'm dancing, but that is few and far between because most of the time I'm working. I think Josie said that something has to be at a level of 4% difficulty for us to find flow. 4%. Is that right? I think that's what she said. And so that's so much lower than you would think. Yeah. <laughs> so I, most of the time I'm working way harder than 4% uh, 
on my dancing. But there have been a few times where my partner and I will execute a pattern or something and it's like, oh my gosh, that felt really good and I just feel very much in the zone. Um, I think it can happen for me when I'm working on a puzzle. I think it can happen for me sometimes. I think it's part of the reason I love music and love, especially in my youth, being a part of making music. Josie can find it when she's cleaning, which I think is insane because for me that's just torture. I wish I could be that person. I know, right? That's not me. I definitely pictured doing a a jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. You were talking about flow. Yeah. Well, Josie is an expert on it and definitely can point people more in that direction. But yeah, I have thought so much about flow since I met Josie and had the opportunity to have that conversation with her. And she actually did a TEDx talk associated with her experience and the idea of flow. So there is so much more information out there for the taking when it comes to that concept. And I hope people will go find it because it's really a cool phenomenon. 4% difficulty. I think that's what she said. I feel like I need to go back and re-listen to that episode to make sure. Because she made me guess in the middle of the conversation. She was asking me, like, how hard do you think something would be? And I feel like my socks were just knocked off. Because she said this incredibly low number. So if it's not four, it's something close. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to think. Like, the last time I was in flow at work was trying to manage the staffing so that we could redistribute people to cover student caseload numbers. Or, like, at a... I was actually last Monday at a CrossFit workout. I definitely felt flow. Well, I remember having this conversation with Josie right before the Olympics, and she referenced Olympians. You know, she was talking about their training and how finely tuned their bodies are and that they just get in the zone with their sport. And so my experience of the Olympics was very different this time than it would have been had I not had that conversation with Josie. I'm going to be thinking about flow today. Yeah. Let's jump into talking about Andrea. Yeah. So what was your takeaway from her story? There were a couple of things that really struck me about Andrea's episodes. Again, I think she was a person where we had her in two segments Mm -hmm. The first thing that I think about a lot since she said it was she was talking about these things in life that people go through, a cancer diagnosis, the death of a loved one, a history of abuse, too many people experience. And she was talking about how in a way these things are really common, but for the person to whom they are happening, they are epic experiences. And I thought that was so poignant to put it that way, because we do hear about these difficult things that so many people, too many people are facing, but she's not wrong. When you're the person that they're happening to, they are mind blowing, life changing, earth shifting events. And I think that that's such an important piece of information because I feel like If we're in touch with that, it really ups our level of empathy and compassion for other people when, even when what they are going through might be typical, not epic to us, to them, they're in that epic chapter. It's that idea that context is everything that as a culture, we talk about so many things, but we don't talk about things that have a lot of depth often. 
and we want to normalize loss and abuse and dealing with you know medical traumas and medical horrible things like getting cancer diagnoses but she does really bring home the concept that context is key that these aren't little trite things that, yeah yeah so and so was diagnosed with cancer like it's big those are big things that hit hard yeah and I think sometimes other people avoid them because they are so hard. Mm-hmm. And there's this fear of getting close to it. Like, ugh, I don't want to think about getting cancer. Well, we feel like we can't handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, that draws me back to season one when I sat down with Kelly and she talked about in the wake of her son's diagnosis with leukemia, how many friends that she thought were incredibly tight that she lost because ultimately it just seemed like they couldn't hang with how yeah. difficult it was. And what her family was going through. So, yeah, I mean, these things may be too commonplace in the human race, but for the person who's experiencing them, they're epic. And that's definitely something I've thought about a lot since I sat down with Andrea. The other thing that really stuck with me for her was her discussion of femininity and the patriarchy and what it means to be born female. The way that she talked about it in her experience just made me think a little bit differently about my own. Interesting. How so? I just think it's been a really long time since I've weighed, I mean, maybe even back to graduate school, since I've weighed what does that mean to be born female. And particularly in this time that we're living in right now where, you know, the transgender population is coming so much more forward Mm -hmm. and it's so much more accepted. I just think weighing gender, there's a lot of mind candy there. There's so much mind candy there. And I think um, I could talk for hours about the patriarchy and what it means to be female. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there. And some people to just react to the word patriarchy the same way they react to the word feminist. And I think that they're um, charged words. They are, they are. And I think, you know, part of becoming a woman who's fully walking in her shoes, it happens once you've acknowledged that the patriarchy is real. But that might be a discussion for another day. Yeah. I was just, or another podcast. No, I'm just sitting here trying to process that. And I I think those kinds of thoughts and that discussion is part of what Andrea prompted for me in a time when I think I thought I had mostly sorted out my thinking about all of that a long time ago. I haven't really sat down in a long time. I mean, I, I tend to be a pretty self-reflective person Mm -hmm. and definitely the nature of the beast with therapy is that I'm thinking about that kind of stuff and trying to improve myself and evaluate myself all the time. But I really don't think I had given much airtime to just looking at that slice of being born female and what that means and how it's impacted me. 
I think about a lot of other things like romantic relationships and my family of origin and the way that I was parented and birth order and, (laughs) you know, all my socioeconomic status growing up, my socioeconomic status now, you know, all of those kinds of things I tend to reflect on, but I have not reflected in a long time on femaleness. And And Andrea brought that up. Interestingly, all of those things are that you listed socioeconomic status how you were parented, your birth order, those all interact with your gender. Right. My awareness of my gender frequently gets reborn and dug up when I'm experiencing major change, like becoming a mother, wanting to go back to school, wanting a different job, looking at my chosen profession. Those are times when I have that speed bump of gender pop up and the patriarchy for me, those go hand in hand always, you know, as I hit life speed bumps, that's when that comes up for me. Well, and I, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking it's so fascinating that you're referring to that as a speed bump because that has its own flavor, right? That word casts a certain level of judgment. So I think the conversation with Andrea could, as you said, spin into (laughs) a bunch of other conversations. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why I thought it was so valuable Yeah, is that she really brought something to the fore that I personally hadn't considered in probably more than 20 years in that way. And so it got the wheels turning. Yeah. Kim. So Kim came to all I know to share a bit about her experiences with racism. She is a Korean adoptee. And has been in the U.S. since she was a baby in a family of mixed race. I think, if I remember right, her mother identifies as Mexican. So she's from a Latin culture. And her father was Caucasian. So she was in a mixed race family. And she talked about her experiences growing up feeling different than her family, struggling with being Asian and what that meant and some of the messages she got from society and people around her uh, related to being Korean. Yeah, that's a hard conversation because Kim is somebody that I really love in my personal life and so it was more than just sitting down to talk about this incredibly difficult issue of racism. It was sitting down to talk about racism with somebody that you love like a sister. And that was painful. Had you guys ever spoken about her experiences with racism before? We have in bits and pieces here and there. But there were things that she said as part of the telling of her story on the podcast that I hadn't heard before. And certainly hearing them strung together. I mean, here, like, we're coming back to this idea of weaving that narrative, right? So having her string them together and looking at it more in its entirety. And I know there's, I know there's things that she didn't share. You know, there's other pieces to the puzzle that were not part of the telling of her story on the podcast. But it's a lot to look at. Did she get any feedback? After the episode? I don't know if she did. Uh, She didn't really share anything with me from her end. I got a lot of feedback from 
listeners about that episode. I think... What were they saying? I think it just hit people where they live. Um, Racism is something that we're really struggling with and being confronted with more and more, particularly at a systemic level in our country. And I think Kim's telling was so intimate and some of her experiences were so subtle that it would be easy for someone maybe to be like, oh, that's not, oh, that they didn't mean it like that. Oh, that's an act, you know, to sort of like, I hate to use the term whitewash, but that's like the only thing that comes up. Yeah, to minimize her experiences. Yeah, because of our own... Maybe white-splain it. Privilege. There there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there were elements of Kim's telling that made it hard to do that. And it just brings you to this more intimate place of understanding that, unfortunately, racism is very alive and real. We have not come as far with civil rights as many white people maybe sometimes think we have. This is definitely still an issue that needs attention. This is a part of the world and certainly of our country that needs healing. Was there anything in her story that shocked you? Yeah. um, I don't even know if I can repeat it because it will make me too uncomfortable to repeat it. But while Kim and I were talking, she told a story about her dad and some things that her dad used to say to her when she was younger that definitely have racist Mm, overtones. Double whammy, hearing it from your dad. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Kim and I talked about the tension of this because she doesn't believe, and therefore I don't believe that there was racist intent, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't racist. Does that make sense? So, yeah, I mean, that was an element of her story that I had never heard before. That, that came out. I can't even imagine how horrible that must have been for her. While we were while we were talking. That definitely contributed to this feeling of being less than mm. because you're Asian. Being less than because you're Korean. And there's nothing you can do about that. So you're just less? No. No, that sucks. So, fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, so Kim's episode was you know, heavy for me in that way and definitely deals with some really timely and valuable topics. Yeah. I think Kim's episode made a little bit of a splash in the adoption community because of being an international adoptee. I think there were some folks who are raising children of another race or ethnic background that felt Kim's story was powerful and helpful and that they wish more of their loved ones and friends Mm. would listen to, to help them understand the unique challenges that their families have. I'm telling you, this is the power of the podcast. That episode is now there. It exists. Mm. People can be like, you've got to listen to this to understand what we're dealing with or what we're, my child's experiencing. I remember hearing from a listener talking about her brown son she's Caucasian and how much she resonated with and grieved with her son through hearing what 
Kim had to say, knowing that there are elements of that that he yeah. feels and experiences, even if it's wow. not intentional in their home. Anyway, yeah, ugh, I don't know. I feel like I can't breathe. My chest feels heavy. There's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Chris. Yeah, oh my gosh. Chris, this is such a great episode. This is so fun. It's like a little walk down yes. memory lane. See, I do. I love all these episodes for different reasons. Chris's episode is, you know, she's just kind of my spirit animal. Like, I just want to be like Chris because she doesn't weigh things so heavily or overthink things so much that she ends up being kind of paralyzed. She kind of jumps on these things and rides these waves and ends up having these amazing adventures. And I just think that's so badass. So... Yeah, Chris, her episode, she talks about her experience with COVID-19 lockdown and quarantine and how she navigated that time. And it really was powerful for me because she is also a single woman in her 40s. And so there's a part of us that really understands each other and our place in the world and the way that she navigated this really challenging time in our lifespan is very different than the way that I navigated it. And it was really powerful to have that mirror held up. I think the main thing with, with Chris that I have taken away and I'm still trying to integrate is that idea of like finding ways to make, this is not how she said it, but finding ways to make the once in a lifetime stuff happen. Instead of the excuses and the reasons why it won't work are plentiful. <laughs> we have loads. Mm-hmm. But she's just really great at figuring out how to have the lark. I love that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Jennifer. Mm-hmm. That was probably the most unexpected podcast episode I've ever listened to. And I love podcasts. I did not think her story was going where it went. The thing that is fascinating about what you just said is that it perfectly parallels my experience because Jennifer and I know each other from the ballroom dance community. And we got to talking about all I know at a competition. I guess she's one of those people who had been listening that I didn't know was listening. And so we got to talking about the podcast and she said to me, Oh my gosh, I have a story to tell. And I said, well, do you want to tell it? And she said, yeah. So we made a plan to sit down and, and tell her story. And, um, I didn't know what to expect, but I definitely didn't expect what came. So if you have not listened to Jennifer's episode, she, uh, self describes her, story as R-rated. So that's something to be aware of if you opt into listening to that episode. Jennifer walks us through her experience of being in relationship, married to her husband, who ultimately made a transition to female. And she walks us through a little bit of that experience in their marriage and their relationship. But ultimately, when their commitment to each other changed after the transition, Uh, Jennifer walks us through really 
some of her own pain and and this is where it got identity where it surprised me where yeah it was, it, the story took a turn that I wasn't expecting yeah it seems like there was a crisis of identity and some deep grieving about the loss of love the loss of romance the loss of passion and her pursuit of bringing those things back into her life so when she said I had a story to tell, I had no idea what she was getting after. But I really appreciate her courage because I don't think the things that she talked about are easy to talk about, no. especially in a public forum. And so I think there's great courage in that. And one of the things that I took away from my time with Jennifer, I think I actually commented on it in conversation and I wish I could remember exactly where we were in the conversation but she was talking about that idea that women sort of age out of having romance in their lives mm-hmm. these are not the words she used but this is but the spirit of it yeah um and that hit me really hard I actually got pretty emotional during the conversation when we were talking about that because I was reflecting on her experience of feeling that way and sort of holding it as a filter over my experience as a woman, interestingly, after the conversation with Andrea had taken place. And um, it was sad. It was sad. And I think, I think there's something to that that's worth thinking about and exploring and unpacking a little bit more. That was my big takeaway from my time with Jennifer, even though it's this tiny detail. Right. It was a tiny detail in Jennifer's story, but it got you thinking and it about that concept that every woman has an invisible expiration date on her wrist and you can't see it until it's expired. Right. It's like the invisible ink suddenly becomes visible once that date has passed. Anyway, that's a whole other topic of whole conversation. Other topic, whole other episode, yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, has, I know, yours and my wheels turning a little bit about other projects and offshoots yeah. we might do with all I know. I think it's worth talking about. But, yeah, that was my big takeaway from Jennifer. I appreciated, too, how openly she shared her story because there's a lot of room for people to be judgy about it. She really lives her life in a way that works for her and does not give two shits. She does not care what other people think. And I think that takes courage. That in and of itself is a lesson, right? Yeah. I mean, you make an excellent point because some of the subject matter is something that a lot of people could sit in judgment about. Mm -hmm. And she just sort of lays it out in a very matter-of-fact, positive, self-celebratory, empowered way. Yeah. There's something to that. There's something worth paying attention to in that process. Agreed. The next guest was Lori. Yeah, Lori. Wow. I love talking with Lori because part of her journey ties in with yoga Yoga is something that I've studied and learned about 
most of my adult life, it's something I've enjoyed exploring. And so that makes Lori's story very relatable to me. But part of what I think is so powerful about what she had to say is this idea that we can shift energy to help ourselves heal. And I think that is a concept that is pretty foreign. And I mean, even as I'm saying it right now, you know, it sounds kind of like out there probably to some people. And that idea of getting intentional about your thoughts, the way that you treat yourself, the way that you talk to yourself, the way that you think about things. Lori's story truly is a mind over matter story. Talking about becoming well, becoming healthier by using her mind. Her story made me think about, um, I may get this woman's name wrong. She has a book out, Mel Robbins, The High Five Habit. I don't know it. Basically that the way that you talk to yourself, your energy really creates who you are. I haven't read the whole book, but I read this or listened to a podcast that talked about her book where she's basically saying like, you give yourself a high five in the mirror every day. Basically in my own words, um, these are not Mel Robbins's words. It changes your energy Mm. and it's a real tactical way of doing what Lori talks about. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more Western and tangible. Interesting. Same concept that your energy, you have power over your energy and your energy really does drive who you are. And who you show up as. It reminds me of that video that circulated years ago of that little girl, like, standing in the mirror. The one with the curly hair. And she's like, I like my hair. (laughs) I like this. I like that. I like my body. I'm strong. (laughs) I'm intelligent. I'm beautiful. I can do all the... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there is an element of that in what Lori had to share. And I thought there was a lot of vulnerability in her telling as well. Largely because of the piece where she talks about using her illness as a currency. And that when she got to a place where she was conscious of how being sick was benefiting her, things began to shift. And I think that's such a powerful concept because no matter what we're dealing with, I think there's something we can use to parallel. I think it plays into the language that we use is the story that we tell ourselves? I'm just not good with kids or I am terrible at math. Yeah. I'm just sick. I think that those are scripts that we, it's the whole concept that what the story that you're telling yourself is the life that you're living mm-hmm. and you can change the life that you're living by changing the story that you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What it makes me think about for me and where I might be able to use more of what Lori talks about is in my own journey with managing my body image mm-hmm. and weight loss. Um, because that's just something that I struggle with. And I remember sitting with Lori and listening to her talk and thinking, well, yeah, okay. Like, what's the payoff here? How does this struggle work for me? Mm-hmm. Um, what am I getting out of telling myself that? Yeah. 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 So... I think there's a lot in what Lori had to say that, again, is applicable across the population, across people. It's just a matter of applying it to, you know, what mountain are you climbing? Um, Aaron. Oh, man. 
Aaron's is a tough one. You know, when Aaron shared his story, I remember very early in the conversation, he said something about the fact that there isn't a word for what he's been through. Because if you lose a spouse, you're a widow or a widower. But when you lose a child, there's not mm-hmm. a word for that. And and surprisingly, there's not a word for that in any known language. Oh, well, here comes the linguist. Mm-hmm. That's how against nature it is. That's how against nature it is. Aaron's story is a difficult one because... This loss that he went through is so complicated and so painful and so intimate that it's hard to even speak about. I would say, thinking about my experience as a host, I probably did the worst job with Aaron's story because I was very swept up in my own emotion and it made it more difficult to... You know, try and have an objectivity while I facilitated. Well, you're not a reporter, Jen. That's I mean, true. That's part of the the beauty of your podcast is what you bring to it. Well, I brought it. <laughs> I brought some feelings with me during the telling of Aaron's story. Um, I mean, he'll be back in season three. There's been a lot of response to Aaron's story, I think, because it's so raw you know, anyone who has a child or loves a child, it's your worst nightmare. So there has been um, a lot of response to Aaron's story. And he obviously is an incredible storyteller because he touched on all these other fascinating things from his life as a young man traveling and working. And uh, he will be a recurring guest in season three to tell us some of the adventure stories that he didn't get to tell because he was focused on Noah this time. So what was your takeaway from Aaron's sharing of his loss of Noah? I mean, I think part of what I take with me from Aaron is that even the horrific things, the things that we think are not survivable, we can survive and that they can be in some ways redeemed. Will it ever be okay that Noah died? No, that's never going to be okay. And some of the good that has come out of Noah's death is very beautiful. And probably very necessary in a hurting world. I mean, when I think about Aaron and I think about Noah and that loss the main word that kind of rings through my head is redemption. And just the idea that sometimes if we look hard enough, if we're open, if we're vulnerable enough to do the work, even the worst things can have some redemption to them. Grace. Grace. Fascinating conversation. I mean, I think I wrote about this a little bit in the post associated with promoting Grace's episode, but it's like, who do you know that is a circus performer, death investigator, cancer survivor, (laughs) the, the vortex of things that come together that make 
Grace Grace is so awesome. She's a protagonist. She should be a like detective on top of all of that in a series. Oh, she should. Book series. She should. And she does a little bit of her own reviews online about uh, like autopsy and crime scene stuff. She'll comment about how the crime shows are doing. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty fun and fascinating to watch. I love that we ended the season with Grace. Part of that was a function of timing, but I feel like the message or the meaning I'm taking from her episode is like a great way to punctuate a season. When she talked about, and I don't know that I'll get this exactly right, but she talked about that idea that, you know, we're all going to die and we're all really freaked out about talking about it. And death is a very uncomfortable thing for most of us. And so when we kind of inch up to it and kind of like get in its face, like, yes, this is happening at any moment. It could be over for any one of us. And we can be paralyzed by that, or we can choose to take it and let it inform the way that we live and the choices that we make with the life that we do have. I just think that's an incredibly powerful message. It's empowering. In it may be in a, it's like a 30,000 foot view of some of what we're trying to do with this project, you know, it's maybe most of the things that people say are at 10,000 feet <laughs> or, or 8,000 feet. But what Grace had to say is overarching at 30,000 feet. And I just, I have a lot of respect for her. I have a lot of respect for her and I'm, I'm thrilled that she was willing to share some of these corners of her life you know, she talked about wanting to have a fascinating life. And I, if my vote counts, Grace, mission accomplished. You're fascinating. That's awesome. Um, we didn't talk about um, the episode with your mom and the Gila. Mm -hmm. And I know that kind of leads into a few other things. So let's end there. Well, of course, I love this episode because it's my mom. Yes. Your mom's a pretty awesome person. And it was fun to be able to join in the telling of that pilgrimage with her. Um, so if you have not listened to that episode, my mom's father died in an accident in the New Mexican wilderness in 1954 in a small plane crash. And in 20, I think it was 2015. And I'm pretty sure we did this dance when we were talking about it too, trying to pin down the date. I think my mom and I went in the spring of April 2015 to the crash site and the place where he died. And it was an amazing trip. So being able to remember that with her and talk about it with her, and now we have this you know, recorded version for posterity. It's not just our pictures and writings and, you know, it's another layer of archiving. Yeah. First person experience. Yeah. But we did get a lot of feedback about that episode, I think, because death loss is so significant for us as humans. And um, because of the connection that my mom felt to my granddad when we were at the cave dwellings. And that has inspired the idea to do another layer in season three, where we will do some episodes in season three that have to do with getting signals from the other side. 
It'll be our signals series. And so there are some people who have had experiences with loved ones after death where they felt like they were getting that touch or they were getting a message. And so whether you believe it's the spirit or the soul of that person or it's God allowing you to have that experience or, you know, whatever your theology is around that, uh, we're just going to explore a little bit what it's like when the living feel like they get a message. And what did you call those stories? The Signals Series. The Signals Series. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is based on a book for those of you who have listened to all of my episodes, because I don't remember where we talked about it, there was a death loss in my adult life where I lost a friend and her three daughters in a pretty tragic accident. And in the wake of her loss, her husband actually gifted me this book that she loved called Signals. And it was written by a gentleman who had experiences with a loved one after he had died and he, he kind of talks about his experience of receiving signals. And in the wake of reading that book, I felt like I had signals from Laurel and the girls all over the place, all over the place. And so anyway, it will be the signal series sort of in honor of the book that I received from her husband that she loved that also sort of opened my eyes to having a little bit more of that experience while I'm still in my body. I can't wait. I'm excited to hear those stories. Signal stories. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's going to be good. Well, it's been fun. I'm glad we got to get together during another Christmas season of this pandemic. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Last time we sat down and talked about it, we were talking about travel and are we going to have to be wearing yeah. masks and what's going to be going on? And oh God, I really hope that when we wrap next season, it is truly there are things that feel a lot different. I think one thing we can all agree on is that we have COVID fatigue. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, yes. And we want to be done. Yes. Yes. I don't, I don't even have words. I don't, I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm really tired of it. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> so that's a wrap. That's a wrap on season two. Thank you for listening and revisiting these stories with us. We hope you have some of your own insights and thoughts and takeaways. Feel free to share them with us because we'd love to continue the conversation, even though those episodes are already out there. Yeah. I hope those stories land and bring people encouragement and connection and help them feel less alone in whatever they're experiencing. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening in today. When our guests agree to be vulnerable with us and to share from the well of their life experience, one of the best ways that we can acknowledge that kind of courage is to communicate that what has been shared has fallen on ready ears and a heart that is open. So if there was something that struck a chord today, Please interact with the posts on social media that are related to this episode so that you can let that storyteller know about the impact that he or she had on you. If you haven't connected with us already on one of these platforms, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram under the handle All I Know Podcast. 
please remember that the ideas, opinions, and views shared today belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find fuel for working with in their own lives from every episode, it should be noted that this podcast is not a therapeutic intervention and it's not a substitute for advice or counsel from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, which is a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado, and our team works primarily with children and their families that have been impacted by developmental or early childhood trauma, and we specialize in adoption and foster care issues. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you're interested in developing a relationship as a sponsor for this project, or if you're interested in being a guest and one of our storytellers on All I Know, you can reach us at allIknow at inwardboundco.com. I'm going to give that to you one more time. All I Know at inwardboundco.com. And you'll never miss an episode if you visit the website so that you can subscribe or follow the show through your preferred streaming platform. And the way to find us on the web is to go to allIknow.podient.co. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us at the show reminding you catch all the light you can.